Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you give them a call. Visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. You can find out more by visiting lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific guest for today's show, including Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. We'll also visit with Boo Mortensen. We'll find out what's new with Boo. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. And Larry Reed, the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We'll be talking about the guy that was the Henry Ford of shoes. It is February the 9th, and on this day in 1971, this is such a great story. Pitcher Leroy Satchel Page became the first Negro League veteran to be nominated for the Baseball Hall of Fame. In August of that year, Page a pitching legend known for his fastball, showmanship, and longevity of his playing career, which spanned five decades, by the way, was inducted. Joe DiMaggio once called Page the best and fastest pitcher I ever faced. He was born in Mobile, Alabama, they think around uh, July the 7th, 1906, although the exact date remains a mystery. He earned his nickname Satchel as a boy when he earned money-carrying passenger bags at train stations. Baseball was segregated when Page started playing baseball professionally in the 1920s, so he spent most of his career pitching for Negro League teams around the United States, and during the winter season, he pitched for teams in the Caribbean and Central and South America as a barnstorming player who traveled thousands of miles each season and played for whichever team met his asking price. He pitched an estimated, get this, 2,500 games. He had 300 shutouts, 55 no-hitters. Are you kidding me? In one month in 1935, he reportedly pitched in 29 consecutive games. In 1947, Jackie Robinson broke baseball's color barrier and became the first African-American to play in the major leagues when he joined the Brooklyn Dodgers. The following year, Page also entered the majors, signing with the Cleveland Indians and becoming a rookie at age 42, baseball's oldest rookie. He helped the Indians win the pennant that year and later played for the St. Louis Browns and Kansas City A's. He retired from the Bajors in 1953, but returned in 1965 to pitch three innings for the Kansas City A's. He was 59 years of age at the time. Are you kidding me? Making him the oldest person ever to play in major leagues. In addition to being famous for his talent and longevity, he had a great sense of humor and made colorful observations like, don't look back, somebody might be gaining on you, and age is a question of mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter, he said. He died on June the 8th, 1982, in Kansas City, Missouri. A fabulous story for Satchel Page, great baseball player. Wish he could have played in the majors. His timing was not perfect. He would have been, well, he's Hall of Fame anyhow. Well, the Florida Department of Health reported 57 new COVID-19 cases and two additional deaths in Cuyahoga County on Monday. Only 57 cases. It's dropping like a rock here. Collier's moving seven-day average for new cases was 97 through Sunday. That's 47% less than the average on uh, January the 1st. It's also the lowest case average since November the 16th. Uh, Monday, there were 74 COVID patients in Collier County hospitals, just 74. So 
Uh, don't know if this is just a respite here or whether this is going to be the end of it. I certainly hope it's the end. Florida reported fewer cases. Also, uh, 56,606 new cases. That's down 21.3% from the previous week total of the, for the virus. So uh, hopefully it's dropping not only just in Collier County, but all over Florida. Seems to be dropping all over the United States. Former Food and Drug Administration Commissioner Scott Gottlieb said on Monday that the country's supply of coronavirus vaccine would soon outweigh the demand for it, warning that this will happen all at once. I think once you get into those kinds of numbers, once you're looking at uh, over close to 200 million vaccines available for first injections, I think we're going to run out of demand. So in other words, if you're on the phone right now desperately trying to get an injection, uh, it's going to happen sooner than you think. Before you know it, they'll be peddling it on the streets. Please come in and get a shot. That according to Scott Gottlieb. Not really, but uh, in other words, this is an issue of supply and demand. And demand is going to not exceed uh, the supply very soon. Today, former President Trump's second impeachment trial kicks off, and here's what you need to know. The trial is slated to start at 1 p.m. on the major news networks in C-SPAN. My choice would always be C-SPAN. Following uh, the focus would be on whether it's constitution to even hold a trial, considering Trump's out of office. Debate could last up to four hours, and then there's a vote. Over the next two days, each side will then get 16 hours to make their case. Nine House impeachment managers, kind of like prosecutors, will uh, rely on Trump's January 6th speech to argue that he incited the Capitol attack that left five people dead. Trump's new legal team has called the whole trial political theater and is expected to argue that the House is ignoring information like when he told the supporters to peacefully make their voices heard. Trump is convicted, and of course, that's an uphill battle. It's not going to happen. The Senate could bar him from holding elected office in the future. Do you think he cares about all this? I'm not sure he does. I don't think he finds it uh, ominous at all. Uh, He hasn't said that, though. In addition, newly filed federal charges against anti-government activists offer fresh, compelling evidence that the accused perpetrators of the Capitol riots pre-planned their attack days and weeks in advance and in plain sight of the FBI that vowed to be vigilant in the extremist threats. A dozen FBI affidavits uh, supporting charges against the more than 200 defendants show rioters engaged in advanced planning on social media sites, uh, by the way, which includes Facebook more than uh, Parler. The planning included training, case sites, identifying commanders on scene and requested for donations as cash as well as combat and communication gear. More than a half dozen of the suspects are now charged with conspiracy to commit violence for actions predating the January 6th riots. The uh, early actions identified in court documents date back to November with planning and rhetoric accelerating after Christmas. Uh, That growing body of evidence raises questions about whether the FBI and other security agents uh, acted proactively enough to thwart the violence. All the evidence was there. All they had to do was read Facebook. (laughs) It was also uh, undercuts the House Democrats' impeachment claim, supporting by the Republicans, that Trump's speech spontaneously incited the riots, legal experts told the news. I would hope that the, those 10 Republicans and hopefully even some Democrats would now say we look at the uh, Time, the media, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and all are reporting on keeping exactly it, the facts, said Ken Starr, 
Uh, I didn't say that correctly, but I think you get the idea. The former federal appeals judge, Solicitor General, and Whitewater Independent Counsel said, House lawmakers have made a huge colossal blunder, he said, uh, who was a member of the defense team for the Trump's first Senate impeachment trial. So walk back, apologize to the former president, apologize to the American people that I never should have voted in favor of this without the benefit of all the facts. I rushed to judgment was what uh, Starr is suggesting. Trump's lawyers are planning to argue the president's speech did not in fact incite violence, but rather called for peaceful protest and was protected by First Amendment, which, by the way, I think... <laughs> <laughs> the Democrats want to get rid of the First Amendment. But anyhow, they're also preparing a video montage showing Democrats making co comments encouraging violence dating back to summer's, last summer's Black Lives Matter uh, move protests and movements. This is all a farce, in my opinion. It's, it's really too bad. But I think, uh, in my opinion, just where I sit, I think it's just Democrats making fools of themselves. They're not going to convince anybody. They'll certainly probably reinforce those... Uh, Trump derangement syndrome folks that have a hateful hate for Trump, they'll be very pleased with all this. But that doesn't include the majority of the people. I think most people uh, want, are, are very pleased with what Pre President Trump did in his administration. What I really appreciated him about him is he never quit. Uh, he, he didn't fold his tent. He stayed right to the end and did everything he could to uh, claim his presidency, which, quite frankly, I believe, uh, was stolen. If you don't believe it, take a look at uh, Absolute Proof by Mike Lindell. He probably should have been the commentator for the uh, presentation, but uh, he certainly accumulated all the evidence. Absolute Proof. You can find it on, I think, um, one of the tum uh, Trump Tumblr, I think is the, uh, you won't find it on YouTube, but Tumblr, I think you'll find it there. The government is estimated to rack up $483 million in costs for keeping the National Guard in Washington, D.C. The figure includes $284 million in personnel costs and $199 million for operations, which entails lodging, meals, transportation, sustainment, and airlift costs. I hate waste. What is this all about? Why They're, they're going to have between five and 7,000 troops staying in D.C. until the middle of March. A significant reduction from the 26,000 that were deployed to help secure the inauguration. But nevertheless, what a waste this is. And did you see the barbed wire fence uh, surrounding uh, the capitals just on, or the White House? It's just unbelievable. Uh, new data from the American Department of Justice shows that despite the media and big tech campaign against Parler, it was Facebook which served as the top rallying point for those storming the Capitol building on January the 6th. That, according to Forbes, was Facebook, not Parler. Amazing. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date. By reading Life in Naples, lifeinnaples.net is the website. Coming up, Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator, that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. 
Lullaby's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lullaby's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lullaby's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lullaby's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulubees.com and stop by Lulubees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulubees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulubees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. <clears throat> back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I want to remind you of Choice Social, which is a new uh, social networking platform that I found. And uh, you can download it on choicesocial.us. They're posting my show every day, and I just really appreciate that. I think it's a terrific website. Choice Social, it's an app, but also a website, choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us our state senator, Kathleen Pasadomo. Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Good morning, Kathleen. I just you're probably you know, what are you you're certain isn't uh, has the legislature opened up yet? Well, we we're still in committee weeks. This is um, we have two more committee weeks before session starts. Um, this week, all the budget subcommittees are meeting to uh, start going through the budget silo and the various requests in their budget, so that when we get our allocations per silo, how we work it is that once we um, estimate as close as we can what our revenues are going to be uh, over the next year, then we allocate the, those revenues into um, silos. And uh, the, the silos being the various subcommittees that we have, like today I'm on the Education um, Appropriation Subcommittee, and we're going to meet and look at what requests are. And there's you know, some big bills and a lot of changes that are going to have dollars attached to it, so we're going to look at that. Uh, and that's this week. Next week, we... Or it'll be the final committee week, and all the committees are going to meet and start looking at some of the bills that have been filed. And then session, then we have a week off, and then session starts uh, first week of March. First week of March. So my guess is uh, we're going to see a, a reduction in revenue. Each of those silos will probably be allocated. Would it be true to say suggest that they'll be allocated less money than they have in uh, in past years? Yeah, um, 
you know, it's, it's interesting. Last summer, we thought we'd be about $6 billion um, uh, less revenues than the previous year. And then we have had better projections uh, since then. So it's probably around um, a billion and a half, two billion short, um, which means we are going to have to tighten our belts, uh-huh. although a lot of people are filing budget requests and We'll see how that goes. So many of the bills that will be passed will probably be non-revenue related. Well, I'm sure every bill is revenue right. related, but uh, right. Uh, oh, um, and in fact, every um, bill that is heard in committee um, has an analysis that's done. And if there's a fiscal analysis, then it, it needs to be reviewed by a budget committee. I mean, a fiscal in- impact rather. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the you know some of them are negligible. Uh, so we don't we don't need that, but some of them have significant dollars attached to the legislation, in which case it has to be reviewed by the uh, budget committee that uh, would be in that silo. Now, my understanding is uh, you're not serving on a committee because you're in charge of uh, I think it's the rules committee or uh, responsible for what passes through and actually gets to the floor. Well, I actually I am I chair the rules committee. I serve on the big appropriations committee. I also serve mm. on the education appropriations committee. I serve on uh, insurance and banking. Oh. Um, let's see what else. <laughs> My goodness, <laughs> you, you got a lot of time in committees. And, and, <laughs> yeah, and it's um, uh, but it's good because it gives me an opportunity to. to and these are meaty committees that are going to have some significant roles to play this session based upon bills that have been filed. So, um, yeah, I'm busier now than I've ever been. Um, but it's a good kind of busy because for me, I'm a policy person, and, and being rules chair, I have the opportunity to see every bill that's filed. I review every bill, and I and I um, am responsible for taking the bills that are filed and then referring them to the various committees mm. for review. And um, it's an interesting role because... You know, normally over the last 10 years, when I would be reading a bill, I'd be reading it to determine whether or not I was in favor of it or against it. Mm-hmm. Well, now, as rules chair, I have to read each bill twice. Once is just for uh, the, the content. You know, where, where does it need to get referred and who's going to review it? So I have to take my, I hate this bill or I love this bill hat off and mm-hmm. look at it objectively. And then, then I have to look at it again as it moves through the process to make, to determine whether or not it's been changed to so substantively or amended that it would have to get re-referred. So there's a lot of process involved um, yeah. in this role as rules chair. Uh, do you ever kill a bill right there? In other words, not say it. Uh, this you can't. Is, you know. Yeah, and there's a lot of bills that are filed that are absolutely horrendous, mm-hmm. and some like you know that I'm like, what were they thinking? Um, but under our under our general rules of the Senate, every bill has the opportunity to have a hearing, and uh, you, you refer it to committees. Typically, it's three committees. Um, if it's something that's so scattered that it covers so many different areas of policy areas, uh, I've, been, I've given them four references. It's almost impossible to get a bill passed with four references. And I actually did refer... One bill the other day, five references, mm. uh, because it's outrageous. <laughs> and 
So we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, indeed. So one of the things that, uh, many things that are coming out of this uh, Biden administration is a, a suggestion, anyhow, that school choice is a thing of the past. I mean, they like to do away with charter schools, all behind the teachers' unions and all that nonsense. So uh, my, my question is, how are we going to do, I know there's some important bills going through right now right. Uh, on the issue of parent, parental choice, school choice. Any thoughts there? Exactly. Well, um, the Florida legislature is different, I guess, than Congress because we, we have been over the, the last 10 years, I've been serving very supportive of parent choices. Um, and, you know, we're not talking about, uh, you know, a, a parent who lives in on the beach in, in Port Royal deciding, well, I want to go to a private school or charter school or wherever. We're talking about a parent of students that are in failing schools or schools where they're being bullied or schools where they're not... Um, thriving yep. for what for whatever reason, whether they have a, a disability or the school's just um, the district is just not uh, performing, giving them the opportunity to, to go somewhere else. Yeah. And you know, it was very telling to me that, that we have a big school choice bill and uh, that, that went through uh, the education committee. I serve on that as well, and we had testimony, and it was a remote testimony from parents from all over the state. Uh, in, you know, underserved communities uh, who were just so um, supportive of how well their student, their child did uh, in, in the schools that they had selected. Absolutely. And so that's, a, that's powerful. The only people that seem to be against it are the unions. Right. And that's, they don't, as far as I'm concerned, they're not looking after the best interests of the kids. Absolutely They're not. looking for the best interests of the teachers, which is their job. However... We have to think about the kids. That is first and foremost, and I just really appreciate the work you're doing on that front, Kathleen. It's just really important for uh, parents to be able to get their kids to have a good education. It starts with uh, actually having an involvement in the decisions. Uh, the quality of your education, many times, it depends on uh, the zip code you live in, and it shouldn't be that way at all. That's right. Kathleen, pass it again. Yeah, it, go ahead, Kathleen. And it really shouldn't. I mean, there are some really high-performing schools that are in... Uh, uh, impoverished areas. So uh, it's all about uh, leadership uh, in the in the district, in the school board, in the principals. And um, but if you've got leadership that's that's lacking, yeah, the parents shouldn't have to suffer, or the kids shouldn't have to suffer. And uh, you know, if they if they want to go somewhere for whatever reason. They should be able to. Absolutely. Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator, I genuinely appreciate taking time to be with our listeners. Uh, Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Have a great day. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to be visiting with Boo Mortensen. We'll find out what's new with Boo. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network.
Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in our commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, it's time to find out what's new with Boo. That just brings a smile to my face every time I say it. Boo Mortensen right here on the Paradise Coast. Boo, thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's my pleasure. Uh, are you happy with the Super Bowl results? Oh, I'm delighted. Uh, we, Linda and I were uh, Patriots fans. We live in Boston for eight years, and uh, so we followed uh, Tom Brady and his career. He's such a gentleman, a great football and such a gentleman, so it was really a pleasure to see, first of all, how, how when he went to Tampa Bay, how he attracted Antonio Brown and uh, brought... Ron Gronkowski out of retirement. I mean, uh, it's just—it's almost like let's bring the band back together again, right? <laughs> you know I know. Yeah. What did you was, think? Uh, yeah, we watched it, but then I went on the internet this morning, and of course, you know, so much of it is so negative on the internet, and so they have a photo of naughty DeSantis not wearing a mask while he's watching the game. So somebody questioned him and said, why aren't you wearing a mask? And he said, I can't drink beer and wear a mask. <laughs> well, here's here's the interesting thing. There's so much hypocrisy. Uh, Nancy Pelosi walking in the back door, not going through the screening uh, up at the Capitol. She's imposed a $5,000 fine for violating the, the uh, that rule. And you know, she violates herself. Ron DeSantis has never said you have to wear a mask. He's never said that. No. So he's not being he hypocritical. He's very opposed to mask mandates. 
Yeah, not only that, he said any state or any county or any uh, jurisdiction in Florida that wants to have fines related to any of this nonsense, it has to be filed with the governor's office to be approved. So I, I Way just, to go. Yeah, I just appreciate him so much. He's doing a great job. And him not wearing a mask, it was kind of like President Trump. He didn't wear a mask either. So uh, unless no. it, And yet, you know, Florida's open. You can go to movies. You can go to bars. You can go to restaurants. You right. can, it's business as usual. And yet the COVID rates are falling. Right. You know, uh, the rate... I think that's good news. I think it's great news. The results for Florida... And California are almost exactly the same uh, when it comes to everything from deaths to uh, hospitalizations to COVID uh, people who test positive. Almost exactly the same. And uh, DeSantis said, you know what, we're going to let people make their own decisions. And uh, <laughs> in California, this guy's getting himself thrown out of office. I mean, they got a... Uh, petition going right now and they need 1.5 million signatures and there's over 1.4 million signatures to get him out of office i'm talking about what is his name newsom or something like that so he's going to be uh what is the word i'm seeking well whatever it is impeached booted out yeah no recalled or something like that it's there's a recall and there's as a consequence there's going to be an election later in the year and the interesting thing is all the things he attempted to do made no difference in terms of the outcomes. So no, I think this just... No, our state is the same way. Florida is all locked down, and, and uh, my son came down from Florida. And now, you mean morning, uh, it is, probably... Or, I'm sorry, came down from Wisconsin. Right. And uh, it's 11 below, so you've got the weather working against you, Yeah. and then... Everything is locked down. He, he couldn't believe what it was like being in uh, Florida. Yeah. No, it's so refreshing. I, there's, I don't know if you uh, re- have seen this, but uh, Seed to Table and Alfie Oaks has made national news now. They, the, the, the Kind of the headline is, what's going on here? That, that No mask required in this, this establishment. Have you been to uh, Seed to Table? Yes. It's the happiest place in Collier County. I mean, it's just a great place. Everybody's smiling. If you can see them, some people wear masks. But uh, yeah. you, it says in there, you know, no mask required. And, uh, of course, there is a mask mandate in Collier County, but uh, they're not enforcing it. No, no. I When I go, I wear a mask. But oh. a lot of people, a lot of employees don't. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so fast forward all of this. Right. Fast forward to, like, next summer or this coming summer, at what point are they going to say, okay, we're done. It's, it's, uh, we don't have to wear masks anymore. Business is back at a hundred percent. Do you think that's going to happen any time? Well, in fact, Fauci, (laughs) I don't know why anybody listens to that guy anymore, but the highest paid government employee in the nation, $417,000 a year. But anyhow, he basically said, we'll be able to uh, go free without masks when uh, we have uh, absolutely no more COVID virus. When when the COVID disappears, we don't have to wear masks. That's absurd. I think it is too. Well, he he said, first of all, well, when we get to 60% uh, uh, herd immunity, then he's moved to, well, he says, looks like people are uh, listening and getting their shots, and now let's move it up to 70, 75, 80, 90% now that people, uh, we need to have people who've either uh, had COVID-19 or who've had the shots in in order to to go mask-free, so... I, you know, public. I'm, I've lost a lot of respect for public health officials. Mm-hmm. 
Because of the mixed messages? Well, absolutely. I mean, he changes his mind like he changes his underwear, for crying out loud. Uh, well, maybe yeah. maybe not that much. <laughs> <laughs> we can only hope. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's just crazy. It's, it's uh, you know, we had some friends that went downtown over the weekend, and they said, oh, my gosh, restaurants are full. People aren't wearing masks right. down here. Right. People are yelling. They're I mean, nobody is six feet apart from anybody else. Right. And she said, you know, it's almost like we've been brainwashed. You yeah. go in, you wear your little mask. The, no bartenders, waitresses, no one's wearing masks. And she said, you know, we're so brainwashed by having to do this. She said, you feel kind of freaky. Yeah, but yeah, I heard one one business owner refer to it. He says, well, we're, we're, we're social distancing. We call it virtual social distancing. <laughs> <laughs> Every, you know, this, quite frankly, this is such a farce. It's just uh, a real shame that this is all being used to c try and control the American people. And, you know, uh, when you take a step back, where does the President of the United States, where is it in his job description to give medical recommendations to the states? It's not in his job description. I just really appreciate Governor DeSantis. He's made great decisions by... <laughs> asking us to do nothing. Make your own decisions. Stay healthy. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't feel comfortable going to a place, don't go. And the thing that I really like, he's keeping the schools open. Right. Do you realize we I have... think this is the biggest catastrophe in not letting these kids go back to school. I think it's just criminal. Yeah. And here in Cuyahoga County, and I've been pretty critical of the Cuyahoga County School Board and, uh, supervise, and uh, the person in charge of uh, education, but... You know what? They made a great decision. The state said all brick-and-mortar schools must be open on August the 31st. That was a mandate from the uh, Commission of Education. Uh, so the schools were open, but Cuyahoga County Schools, uh, the uh, superintendent of schools, that's who I was trying to think of, uh, said, okay, we're going to open the schools, but parents have the decision about when to send, a school, send the kids. Well, it started off at about 60% went off to school, maybe a little less. Now it's up to 80% of kids are enrolled in uh, brick-and-mortar schools in Collier County. And you know what? There's been about 570 cases, 600 cases, uh, in uh, over 50 schools. It's, about, <laughs> it's less like three or four cases per school. It's almost non-existent. Yeah. And that yeah. includes that includes. But, you know, teachers. now you've got the school boards that are getting into it, and the not the school boards, you're getting the teachers' yeah. unions. Well, it's a shame in in Chicago and other places where they have so much control, yeah. and and uh, it's really a shame. But they have too much power, and I hope this brings enough uh, the spotlight on this, so that we reduce the power of a. Uh, and the way to do that, of course, in my in my mind, is just have uh, charter schools, charter schools throughout the states, and the pe people can have school choice. I think that could reduce the power of. Uh, the school, the school uh, unions substantially. Well, right now they got an iron grip. Yeah, they do. Boo Mortson, it's always a pleasure to get your uh, commentary here in the show. I hope you have make it a great week. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, I do too. And just in a lighter note, today is National Pizza Day. It is eat a pizza. The yep, the, the, recommend, the recommendation I saw is make sure you have enough dough to go buy some pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Boone. Have a great week. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of uh, Less Government. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Visit gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, we have with us Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I may I have the hiccup, so if, if anything happens, please excuse me. <laughs> well, that's you know what, see, that's why I love doing this show live is because anything can happen, including the hiccups, sneezing fits, <laughs> all, all, yeah. and I believe me, I've been through it all through through dog bike, dog barks, dog. Um, yeah, exactly. Yes. Tell us about less government. And we exist to reduce the size of open government and. It certainly is. It looks like we're going in the wrong direction. But you wrote a, wrote a great column, and I think it's uh, everybody should read it. Intellectual property law trumps antitrust law per the Constitution. You're so right. Tell us about it. Well, there have been a lot of rulings over the last 20, 30 years at court levels, including several times at the Supreme Court, where they have antitrust law bumping up against uh, intellectual property Seton, we're kind of losing you. Can you, uh, Seton? Trust law. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's a lot better. Sorry, I had my finger over the thing while I was, I was holding the phone. I apologize. I could tell. <laughs> um, and so they have antitrust law winning against intellectual property law. Because, of course, look, there's going to be inherent tension. Intellectual property creates monopoly. Mm-hmm. Antitrust law exists to, to break up monopoly, to address monopoly, to stop monopoly. Mm-hmm. Well... 
the, the, the I looked up, you know, I, I, I wrote, looked up the Merriam-Webster definitions on several words, and of course, antitrust exists to break up the unlawful monopoly or, or, or exclusionary situation. Well, it's quite obviously not unlawful if you have a patent and the government has issued you the patent. Mm -hmm. If the government has issued you the patent or trademark or copyright, that's quite obviously a lawful monopoly, right? not an unlawful one. So unfortunately, we've been having, and it's happening all over the world. You know, we lead the world in, in a lot of things uh, on the intellectual property front, and other countries have their own companies that are competing with our companies, and they want to, in a crony fashion, help their companies, often by hurting ours. Yeah. Uh, for, you know, Qualcomm, for example, has led us, led the world in every new level of, of wireless technology. They invented how to connect to the Internet uh, on a phone, and ever since then they've been leading the world, you know, 3G, 4G, 5G, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, South Korea, for example, has Samsung, which is a competitor in, in, in many ways to Qualcomm. So what does South Korea do? They sue Qualcomm under antitrust law. Mm -hmm. Well, that's absurd. They have a patent, they have, they have many patents, which is, of course, grants them for a finite period of time exclusionary rights to the ideas they've created. China does this, too. They have several companies that compete against uh, Qualcomm. They sued under antitrust. Europe, the European Union, has several companies that compete against. They sued under antitrust law. Now, it's absurd for a government to issue a patent, which is an exclusionary right, and then turn around and sue them under antitrust law. Right. You just granted them the permission to be exclusionary. Why are you now attacking them for being exclusionary? Right. It's absurd, but what it is, is it's, it's, a, it's a crony way to, you know, it, once again, this is short-term gain for long-term damage. Um, you know, the short-term game is, oh, I can, you know, hopefully pry open this intellectual property that's protected by these patents and these trademarks and these, and these copyrights and get access to them. But, of course, as we've discussed many, many times, you know, you, 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 you kill that golden goose. If you, if you start robbing people of their intellectual property, they're not going to create any more intellectual property, and then everybody's SOL. Well, I'll point out this, Seton. Uh, I think that's a great summary of what's going on right now. However, most inventors, folks that get patents, usually are not good at running businesses, so they usually sell... Uh, uh, That's right. And somehow, uh, somehow allow the use of their patent in order to enrich themselves for the, what, what they've created. But uh, the point is that they have the right to do that. You can't just steal it. Yeah, you, well, that's, that's, that's one, another way that, that the anti-intellectual property people have created a false narrative. They, the, the, the phrase patent troll, if you've heard of the phrase patent sure. troll, right. the, that is what you're talking about. That is the inventor not d holding on to the patent and creating the product he, crea he invented himself. Right. As you said, the, I always say the Venn diagram of, of uh, inventor of skills and CEO of manufacturing company skills don't touch. No, that's They're right. just completely different people. They are. So it's perfectly reasonable for them to sell their patent to someone who will manufacture or will license it 
and that way everybody gets access to it. The patent creator gets remunerated for doing so, and he gets to do with his money what he wants to do anyway, which is work on his next invention. Yeah. So we all benefit. Well, they called, they, in order to undermine intellectual property, they called this person who purchases the patent from the inventor a patent troll. Right. Which is absurd. Right. You know, is, is, you know Enterprise rents cars. They don't make cars. Are they a car troll? Let me, uh, let me make this point, Seton. Uh, part of the problem goes de- back to guess what? government. The patent office started approving patents without actually doing clear investigation of what the so there were some some for about 8 to 10 years you are correct. And so there were the whole situation was muddled because it wasn't clear which patent actually had the control of, so so they created this, I guess you refer to it as a court or something. Yeah well yeah it's an administrative court which of course is a contradiction in terms, it's like you know fat boy slim. Um (laughs) They created a court, a judicial entity, in the executive branch, which, of course, I argue is unconstitutional. Absolutely. Absolutely. Patent Trial and Appeal Board. Right. And it's in the, it's in the Patent and Trademark Office, and, and you've created a situation. They did this in 2013 with the woefully misnamed America Invents Act. And what it does is, is the Patent Office issues you a patent, and then big companies like Google and Facebook and Apple and Amazon come in and file 9 million challenges against you, and they cost about $250,000 each to, to, to defend, and they just oh, they wash over you with a, wave, a tidal wave of patent challenges, and the same office that issued you the patent allegedly conducts a judicial hearing, where, by the way, often the judges aren't bureaucrats, they're executives from these companies. Oh, my gosh. So, like, <laughs> Apple will, o- will oversee a Google patent challenge. Oh, my gosh. And next, Google will oversee an Apple patent challenge. Gee, I wonder if there's any tit-for-tat going on there. <laughs> um, uh, he's playing, third, so, he's playing know, third base on the name. Almost 80% of the time, the patents are overturned. And, yeah. of course, that's devastating to the intellectual property community. It's a, it's a, well, it's a, there's a reason why it's included, uh, the patent office is included in the Constitution. It is the basis of the expansion of our wonderful economy, and it needs to be protected, I think, which is your main point. That, yes, and it, that's why it's in the Constitution, and antitrust is not. <laughs> Absolutely. Seat Miley, again, the founder and president of Less Government. I encourage you to visit the website, lessgovernment.org. The column is Intellectual Property Law Trump's Antitrust Law. Is it on um, your website, Less Government? It's on lessgovernment.org, even as we speak. All right. Well, Seat, I genuinely appreciate your commentary here. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, sir. Thank you. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Hey, good morning, Larry. Thank you so much for being available. 
you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity, maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. I watched the video. By the way, you're a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly so, documented um, tax deduction for whatever story. the vehicle actually sells you. for it. Your designated beneficiary Monday. charity gets half so the profit I'll after fix-up costs, and the net revenue generated by NADC uh, goes to friends of foster children exactly to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. All Naples Auto Donations Center okay. at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best. So visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us, as you probably heard, Larry Reed. He is the uh, president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, tell us about the uh, Foundation for Economic Education. Education is an organization that focuses on young people of high school and college age. We host programs for them online and in person at a very vibrant website at fee.org all designed to educate and inspire them in ideas of individual liberty, free markets, minimal government, and personal character. Terrific organization. If you have somebody in your life that's high school or college age, just encourage you to make sure they at least check out the website and get involved. It's a great organization, and it's had major impact. I've actually been at the meetings where you can see these young kids who are actually celebrating freedom you know, <laughs> in a great way. So... Again, FEE.org is the website. Now, Larry, we just had uh, Seton Motley on the show. He's the president of the U.S. government. We were talking about intellectual property law. And now we're going to be talking about how a guy used intellectual property law for his own benefit and for the benefit of society. Maybe you can tell us about it. Okay. His name was Jan Metzeliger. He was born in what was then Dutch Guiana in South America. Today that country is known as Suriname. And uh, his father was a Dutch engineer. His mother was uh, a house slave, actually. And uh, as he grew up, Jan Metzeliger uh, showed an interest in machinery. He worked in his father's workshops, and he was known as a guy who could figure out how a machine works and fix it. And that uh, served him well, and a few years uh, later, uh, at age 19, he uh, went sailing uh, with, with the idea of just sort of ending up uh, wherever, you know, no particular plan, but he ended up in Philadelphia after a couple of years. And he did not speak the language. He spoke only Dutch and uh, uh, had no friends at first. But he settled in and uh, learned the language, took a job at a shoe factory eventually up in Lynn, Massachusetts. Mm. And there he discovered that the shoe industry had a problem, uh, which was uh, fastening the top of a shoe to the sole. And that was something that uh, people thought at the time could never be mechanized. It had to be done by uh, painstakingly uh, skilled hands. Mm. 
And he set it uh, as his mission to figure out how to make a machine that could, uh, could do that job. And after a few years of trial and error, he succeeded, and he earned a patent for it. It's called a shoe-lasting machine. And the amazing thing is, it was adopted by the shoe industry immediately. He became a wealthy young man. And uh, it cut the uh, price of shoes in half uh, by uh, fantastically increasing the productivity of shoemaking. A, a shoemaker previously maybe uh, was able to make 50 pairs a day if he was lucky. But with this uh, new machine, he could make upwards of 700 pairs a day. Yeah, it's just an extraordinary story. And just think back, this, uh, I think the patent was uh, received in 1883. Just think about the, how many years ago that is. Not that many years, what, 140 years? And yet yeah. pe people were paying all this money just to have a pair of shoes. I think was an extraordinary, uh, well, pleasure. Uh, a lot of people couldn't afford to have shoes uh, back in the day. That's right, and uh, I call him the Henry Ford of shoes mm -hmm. because, you know, Henry Ford uh, mechanized the auto industry and introduced the conveyor belt and other ingenious uh, devices to increase uh, productivity and to cut costs, and he brought the price of a Model T uh, way down to about $350, so ordinary Americans had a chance at uh, buying one. Well, that's what Jan uh, Metzeliger did uh, for shoes. Yeah, you just think about it, too. I mean, he was uh, half black. He was a uh, uh, mulatto, and he comes to the United States. He doesn't speak English if, uh, well at all, can't speak English. If, I'm, if I re recall from the story also that uh, he tried to join a church, and they wouldn't allow him to attend the church because of his uh, uh, race status. So he ended up joining another church. I mean, it's just an itch of a lot of barriers to his success, and yet he, what he accomplished is just amazing. Yeah, uh, most of the churches in Lynn, Massachusetts, where he was uh, in the late 1870s, uh, did not welcome blacks, but there was one that did. And in fact, uh, very quickly, because by that time he had learned English pretty well, uh, he was a devout Christian, and the church asked him to teach Sunday school. So when he died at the uh, incredibly young age, tragically, of tuberculosis uh, at age 36, he left his small fortune and his uh, Bible and other personal possessions to the church that had welcomed him. Uh, just an extraordinary story. This, is, By the way, just taking a step back, this is the kind of information you'll find on the fee.org uh, website, you know, which are, Larry writes uh, stories of people's lives that uh, where there's always uh, some sort of barrier to success. There's always a barrier to success. <laughs> if you peel the onion, you know, know of anybody's story, you know that achieving something in, in life, is, that's hard work. Well, yeah. these stories... Yeah, he was very persistent. Yeah, and in the, fact, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead, Larry. Uh, he went uh, oftentimes uh, without food to work for uh, days at a time uh, because early on he didn't have uh, much money, so he needed to save the money so he could uh, uh, put it toward the parts that he needed to construct his uh, the first design of his machine. And that did jeopardize his health. It may have contributed to his contracting of tuberculosis. Yeah, well, it's just a shame, of course, that uh, he he lost his life at an early age, but what a contribution. Uh, I, and again, uh, you're going to find these types of object lessons on uh, the website. Also, uh, the uh, book called, I think it was called Real Heroes? Yes. 
Uh, Larry wrote a book called Real Heroes of, uh, it's just, uh, you know, three or four pages about the lives of such interesting people. I didn't, I don't know that this uh, Jan's uh, life was in there, but it certainly could be. It was what an inspiring story. Hey, thank you, Bob. He He's not in that book, but uh, it's people like him that uh, inspire me to write another and put them in that one. Absolutely, and I want to just also mention that uh, there's a video, I think about a five-minute video about Jan's life, which uh, uh, complements Larry's commentary on uh, Jan's Metzlinger. <laughs> Metzlinger. Metzlinger, so uh, just an interesting story. Again, the website is fee.org, F-E-E.org. Larry, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I do want to end with just a story about the White House on uh, Monday confirmed, get this, illegal aliens who are convicted of rape, assault, DUI, or drug-related crimes will not be deported. I'm not kidding. That's exactly what's happening. On U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement is preparing to roll out new guidelines that will lead to far fewer arrests and deportations. Uh, U.S. Immigration and Customs, this is from the Washington Post, is preparing to issue new guidelines to agents this week that could sharply curb arrests of, and deportations as the Biden administration attempts to assert more control over an agency afforded wide latitude under President Donald Trump, according to the internal memos. Generally, these convictions would not include drug-based crimes, simple assault, DUI, money laundering, property crimes, fraud, tax crimes, solicitation, or charges without convictions. Actions uh, Trey uh, Johnson told uh, senior officials. Uh, Fox News uh, reporter Peter Ducey asked Jen Psaki, I call her Jen Psaki, how it is in the interest of public safety to no longer deport illegal aliens convicted of DUI and assault. She clearly was unprepared and stuttered through her non-answer. There is no good response to that. Again, you see a lot of these executive orders that are going out right now. They are not in the interest of the American people. I miss... President Donald Trump and his uh, focus on making America great again, that appealed to all a lot of us who wanted to see our country back in the hands of the people, of, the, of its citizens. And right now we're watching uh, this president, Joe Biden, uh, go exactly against the will of the people, and it's such a shame. Well, there's good news, though. You think the 2020 election got one step closer to socialism in the United States? Well, that's not the case, according to a new post-election survey. Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University revealed only 32% of American adults say they prefer socialism to capitalism in the aftermath of the presidential election. A survey was taken in early 20, 2018. The number was 48%, 41%. So it's dropped 9% since the election or since 2018. According to the survey conducted by CRC Director Research uh, Dr. George Barna, the nine percentage point decline among U.S. adults since 2018 represents more than 20 million fewer individuals preferring socialism over capitalism. That is, I would call that the Trump effect. I don't know about you, but that certainly appeals to me as the Trump effect. So certainly the younger people, people under age uh, 30, unsurprisingly are more supportive of socialism, but even they showed a reduction in support in the worldview in just two and a half years while 48% of the under 30 supported socialism in 2018, only 43% supported it after the 2020 election. That's good news. And hopefully uh, President Biden will, will get pushback on some of the policies that he's putting into place right now. It's really a shame. 
Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, on Tomorrow, we're going to visit with Bob Levy. He's the chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about executive powers. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, and Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of several books, his latest, How Everything Happened, Including Us. I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Also send out a newsletter at the end of each show about the show, and you can uh, get on the distribution list, again, by sending me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.